0: Some of us, it's like, oh man, I got to go downstairs. you, know, you get to that certain point in the age in life where you, do, you begin to debate whether it's worth going up and downstairs. You just look at it and go, I don't know about this, and then you kind of you, you debate, and then finally you make it downstairs, and then you realize you forgot something upstairs you're like, hey, is it worth it? Do I really need it? And you know that debate goes on so uh but we're over here in Colossians uh chapter three, and uh we're going to finish off the the chapter. We were talking about these relationships uh that uh God points out. He points them out here in the beginning of chapter four um and uh the idea and the concept with these relationships is this was first and foremost. In order to follow what he's putting here in these specific passages that Paul is writing, uh, God has this design of how to do it, and that is to put Christ as preeminent. Uh, one of the key things that we have to understand is that, uh, this, this idea and the concept that anything outside of God being first is idolatry. That's, we, we just have to make sure that we understand That's the way that God views it. And God views idolatry as spiritual adultery, as we've talked about over uh, on Wednesday with James. And that's how uh, God viewed the nation of Israel when they began to do their own things. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that even if we put ourselves first, our family first, uh, our career first, the world first, whatever it is, uh, anything that is uh, uh, not God, that is not Jesus Christ is going to be an idol, and we have to make sure that we remove it. So when we get through these things and we look at it, and starting with verse 18, he's talking about wives submitting themselves unto their own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. We find very clearly he's saying as it's fit in the Lord, meaning Christ has got to be preeminent. You have to know what fit in the Lord means in order to be submissive. Uh, you know, when it comes to husbands, love in verse nineteen, love your own wives and be not bitter against them. Uh, We go over to the parallel passage in Ephesians five, clearly outlines and says, "Hey, husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church." So, if we don't understand how Christ loves the church and how that's uh, uh, how, what He did for it, we then, man, we're, we're not going to know how to love our wives. So again, Christ has to be preeminent. And with children, children of being obedient to their parents, in verse 20, children obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Often is the case, and this is something that is very imperative to teach children, obedience is not just about obeying the parent, it's about obeying the parent because you want to be obedient to God. You want to be obedient to Christ. Because you want them to understand the concept that Christ is the head of the home, that Christ is the one that is, is is overall everything in that household. And it must be dictated, as we see here, that the Lord is the one that they're being obedient to. If they're being obedient to the Lord, they're going to be obedient to you. You want to start off that relationship very young. Starting them off when they're 18 years old is way too late, way too late. You want to start them off young, having that desire to please God very early. And then we get to this one where he's talking about fathers, and, and, and obviously being a parent is a very difficult thing. And in verse 21, he says, that, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And the only way that we can understand how to be fathers and how we can understand uh, what parenting is about is to look at how God parents us, realizing we're children and how God teaches us and how God is kind and how God treats us. And, and, and we should be very thankful and understand the fact that uh, God's wrath is not upon us when we disobey, when we do things in our own will, when we do things outside of his will and how he corrects us and brings us back into uh, his will and doing what we're supposed to be doing. But here in verse 22 is where we get to, uh it, it, where we kind of left off, and that is with servants. And again, we're talking about those that, that are are being obedient to uh, their masters, and we're going to take a look at this passage here in just a moment. Before we get too much further into this, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get, uh, get in earnest into this lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time, and thank you again for your word that you've given to us. And Lord, I just pray... That we would treasure it this morning and Lord we would seek the wisdom in it. That Lord we would dig for it and we would um, diligently seek you and uh, your will throughout all of these things. I pray Lord that you would just guide us and direct us in our thoughts and the intents of our heart Lord that they would be honoring and pleasing to you. I pray Lord you just be with me and speak through me. Use me Lord in such a way that you get all the glory, honor and praise. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are talking about servants. And it says in verse 22, Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now we find again that the idea and the concept about how we serve others and how we serve those that are in this world uh, in the form of employment, in the form of uh, what we do with other individuals that may or may not be saved. He's saying there's a very specific way I want you to do these things. And we see here that it is with number one, fearing God. Again, we see the word of God being preeminent because we really, truly cannot understand what the fear of the Lord is unless we begin to look into it for the wisdom and the knowledge that is contained therein. As Proverbs says, that the that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. We begin to understand who God is and we begin to grow that relationship. We're going to find out very clearly why God is one to be feared, not in a way where we're, you know, our knees are knocking and our teeth are chattering, so to speak, and we're afraid of him, but one where we clearly understand who he is, what power he has, what he has done for us, his grace, his mercy, all of these things, realizing he is God. And here we have to understand this concept because, again, When we take a look at what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have to go to the book of Mark to understand what he did as a servant. The four gospels that are presented to us in the Bible very clearly identify characteristics and, if you will, positions of Christ. The first one, Matthew, talking about being a king because there's a lot to do with the kingdom of heaven that physical, literal, millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So we find a lot of things about his kingship, which is why you have the genealogy over there that truly traces it back to him being the rightful heir to the throne. You then have Mark, which deals with him as a servant, because in Mark there is no genealogy, because people don't care about the genealogy of a servant. It doesn't make any difference. The idea and the concept is, is it just gets right into his ministry and what he was doing as far as the will of God and him being a servant to others, being a servant of God, as he's called in the Old Testament. Luke deals with him as man, you know, being obviously uh, not only was he 100% God, he was 100% man as well. And we find that it being in there, which is why his genealogy, which comes from Mary, the flesh part, we find very clearly goes back through the line of Nathan, not through Solomon. And we find very, you know, that it's evidenced that he still is a part of that. That's why that genealogy is different than the other genealogy that we find in Matthew. So what we see in this specific passage very clearly. Uh, with John and uh, um, what he's dealing with is he 's dealing with that deity of Christ, we see all of those things, but when we 're talking about mark we 're talking about how he should be a, how he was a servant and how we should be a servant and it starts off with being obedient. The first thing that we need to understand is obedience, and if Christ is preeminent, we are going to be obedient to him. There is something that we need to understand about that concept that we are going to be obedient to whoever holds the preeminent position in our life. If we hold our own preeminent position, we're going to be obedient to ourselves, which is a dangerous thing to do. If somebody else is going to be holding that or something else, that is what we're going to be obedient unto. That's what we're going to serve. Romans points that out and says uh, 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 says that, that that you know whatever it is that we desire, whatever the, the, the things that are you know if you will in our heart and what we want, that is going to be who we serve. So we're either going to serve the flesh, we're going to serve man, we're going to serve the world, we're going to serve the devil, or we're going to serve Christ. And in order to do what God is asking us here to do. As if you will, employees or servants that in the world today, even if it's in a volunteer form, we need to be obedient. If there's some things that I know, be just you know, having been a manager, is you get disobedient employees. You know, there I have had to term employees. I do not like that process. I do not like doing those things but there are times that it's just like i'm sorry but uh, i've told you time and time and time again here's all the written notices here's all the written warnings and 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 here we are at this point where i'm sorry but you, you i've got to let you go please grab your stuff and leave and that's a hard thing to do but it was because of disobedience you said, this is the way that things need to be done. This is what I need you to do. Here's the, if you will, the performance metric. Here's the performance standard. Here's the measurement. Here's where I want you to be. Here's what we need you to be as an employee. And so we kind of live in a day and age where there's this, you know, kind of this entitlement where it's like, well, I need to be earning $25 an hour as soon as I graduate high school. And uh, um, I, I don't have to obey any boss. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to come in whenever I want to come in um, and 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 kind of have that mentality. And I've had employees try to do that. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. You don't get to come in whenever you want to come in. Right. Sometimes there's hours. Now, there are jobs that I've had that were Flexible. The the employees were allowed to come in, you know, during certain periods of time and things of that nature. It was a little flexible in that regards. And as as far as their hours go, they were hourly. But if, you know, they didn't work the full eight hours, they weren't going to get paid the full eight hours. But, but the idea and the concept is, is when there was uh, those that needed to uh, be there in an hourly place and an hourly time, their expectation was, you know, that they showed up for that specific shift. That was the requirement. But it's an obedience thing. It's an obedience thing. he says very clearly in this passage, I want you to see this. He says, obey in all things, all things, your masters. Not just what we get to pick and choose. Now, the only way that we can do that is if we're obedient in all things to God. So we have to understand that concept first that if I'm going to have this mentality of well, I need to be obedient to my master uh obedient to my employer, what he tells me to do, I need to make sure I'm doing those are things that that, that you know it, it's required it's how to be how to be a good witness and I'll tell you this if you're an obedient employee your an obedience uh, in your time, your obedience in what you do and what you've been told to do, that gives a, a very much a, a different perspective to the employer because they're not used to seeing that. They're used to seeing slackers. They're used to seeing people that just don't care. You get somebody that comes in and, and look, I understand the concept of, you know, you do a good job, you're rewarded with more work with no pay. I get that concept. But you know what? You let God handle that. You let God handle that. In my personal life, you know, I, I the, the company that I work with now, I started out just, you know, I started out because I needed a job. My wife was working there. And, uh, the, 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 manager came to her and said, hey, uh, d- doesn't your husband do this? And she goes, yeah. And she said, could you have him come in and, 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 and apply? And I was like, okay, I came in and applied and got the job, you know, right there. Just basically the, the, the whole interview and application process was, you know, just, uh, if you will, dotting the, uh, uh, the I's and crossing the T's. But, uh, um, you know, it was, that was the intent, that was the desire, is they needed somebody to handle that, and, uh, uh, I was there, and, and I did a good job, and within, you know, uh, the first, uh, couple of months, uh, put to a lead of the department, and, uh, I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? Not much. Um but, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of bumped up the, the pay, and I'm like, okay, cool. Then they put me over, uh, you know, kind of, if you will, being supervisor over uh, that department and another department, and they bumped up my pay a little bit. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, and this is all happening within, you know, a short span of time, within months, of me just starting there. But again, it wasn't like I was seeking after those things. I was looking for career growth. I was just... Hey, I need money so that I can live and survive so that my family me and my wife can, you know, afford things. That's the idea. But the Lord handled the rest. Promotion comes from the Lord, as we see in Scripture over and over again. You do what God tells you to do. He will handle and take care of the other stuff. That's what real obedience is about. And he says here, in all things we have to have that mindset that it's about all things and there's a very very specific standard that he sets with this obedience and that standard has to deal with the heart we all know individuals that that are in workplaces that that, that do the things for the the specific purpose of earning position or promoting their own career goals, or things of that nature. Why? Because we've seen them before. There's names for them. The ones that are constantly there, if you will, sometimes just the yes-men, as in they just are there to schmooze so they can get their way, but they don't actually really do a lot of the work. And sometimes people do work, and they do it for the whole purpose of the, the praise, for the laurels of men, for, 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 for those accolades, for somebody to give them, if you will, a round of applause. And he says, not with eye service, as men pleasers. Now look, I should want to do a good job, and I should want my bosses to be happy. But the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is if I seek first and foremost to please God with it. Because if I'm doing it as unto the Lord, as he says here specifically, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, then I am very clearly not double-minded, not tied by, the you know, if you will, the things of the world, not tied by the things of self-promotion and self-will, not tied by any of those things, but by a very single purpose, if you will, the preeminent part of, of of pleasing Him. Fearing Him. Realizing I've got to give an account to Him for what I do. Not necessarily my bosses, but to God. And I should want to do a good job for my for my Lord, for my Savior, for what he's done for me. I should have a desire. If somebody does not have a desire to do things under the Lord, to please him, then they truly do not understand what God has done for them. They don't understand the forgiveness of sins. They don't understand his grace and his mercy and his long-suffering and his kindness and his gentleness towards us and his goodness. They don't understand all of that. And they need to understand those things so that they can, if you will, begin to fear the Lord and do a job that is pleasing unto him. Because he says right in the next verse, in verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Again, that's the purpose behind why I do what I do. And again, that that verse 23 not only just covers the servant part, But it also covers fathers, children, husbands, and wives. And in the next passage, in chapter 4, masters as well. That my mindset is solely upon God in that singleness, and I'm doing it heartily. You ever do something when your heart isn't in it? You're just kind of what is it? It's the it's the moaning, the grumbling, the griping, the complaining, the all of that. You know, the the, the muttering under your breath. You know, whatever it is, that's not doing it heartily. Now, the important thing to understand here is when he's talking about doing it heartily, we need to understand that that, that, that heart that we're supposed to be doing it with is the heart that is owned by Christ. It's his. It belongs to him. Because of what he did on the cross. Because of the power of his resurrection. Because of that. That's something that we truly need to understand. And we were going to please the Lord, as he's talking about here. We're going to do it under the Lord if we do it with a right heart motive. And again, we go back to those passages where, uh, you know, again, we start looking at, if you will, the judgment of what is being done. And and, and and Paul's kind of, if you will, beginning to shift to that theme, as we're going to see here, that he starts talking about, hey, look, we're all going to have to give an account at one point in time. We're all going to stand in front of Jesus Christ as believers at the judgment seat of Christ, and we are going to have to say, here's what I did with the life that you purchased on that cross. Now, that may be terrifying. But God's looking specifically, not necessarily at the quantity, but that quality of it. Because he says you're going to be judged on whether it was good or whether it was bad. Because we know not all servants produce the same yield. Some produce 30-fold, some produce 60-fold, some produce 100-fold. So we understand that concept. Not everybody has the same opportunity. Not everybody's in the same field. Not everybody has the same uh, uh, type of, uh, uh, if you will, uh fruit that is being brought forth, the tree, if you will. Not everybody does those things. You know, a crop of wheat is going to be a lot different than, say, a crop of figs or blackberries or something of that nature. Some require more work. Some require uh, so on and so forth. And That Maybe not yield as much as the others do. But it's still fruit that is brought forth. It's still profitable. It's still something that is used of God and pleasing unto him. But what we find is it comes back to this heart motive. Did I do it for the right thing? Did I do it with the goodness in my heart? Or did I do it with, if you will, an evil eye? Did I do it with a look to myself, to glorify myself, or did I try to do it for the glory of God? I was having a conversation, a text conversation with a young man just the other day, talking about some questions about some translation, you know, King James Bible issues. And and I said, you know, one of the key things that we, we you truly have to do when you start looking at what the King James Bible says is you have to look at who is getting the glory out of these texts. When you, when you study it out, when you research it, you start realizing that the other versions, they take away from the glory of God. They take away from the redemption. They take away from the shed blood of Christ. They take away from some of those uh, important things. Like you go over, as an example, you go over to the book of Matthew, where he says, um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, where he says he comes to seek and to, uh, to, to save those things, and he says that he's come to call sinners to repentance. Many of the other versions just say he's come to call sinners. Well, that to repentance is an important thing. It's an important thing. Otherwise, we have no idea what he's calling them to. But he's calling them to be repentant. He's not calling them to come hang out with him. He's calling them to come change. Turn away from the sin. Turn to God. Turn to Christ. That's the idea, the concept. So, you know, again, as we look at those things, we have to truly understand what, what, what God's talking about. And again, who's the one that gets the glory out of all of that? Well, it's God that gets the glory. Because doesn't the Bible say that it is the goodness of God that brings men to repent? Brings them to repentance? The goodness of God. His goodness. And it was a good work that was done upon the cross. It was a good work that was uh, uh, done with the empty tomb. It was a good work that was done with the, as we talk about the propitiation and the advocacy and all of the things that we're talking about in 1 John. All of those things are good works that God has done for us. And it should be that goodness that draws us near to him. But here he says, do it heartily uh, as unto the Lord, not unto men, and it's whatsoever ye do. Again, another all-inclusive phrase. Everything. And I'll tell you, taking that verse and memorizing that verse and realizing, hey, whatever it is I'm doing, I need to make sure that I'm doing it unto the Lord, that begins to really eliminate sinful activity. Because you can't do sin unto the Lord. God will not accept it. That's not what God wants. He wants holiness. He wants righteousness. That's what he desires. And here's, again, you know, kind of going on on this subject in verse 24. Here's part of this thing. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. There it is again, the first priority, the preeminence. And this is something that we should know. It's something that should be at the forefront of our mind constantly. You know, we put on the helmet of salvation for one reason, to realize that we're saved unto good works and what he has done on the cross for us and that we are saved from our sins and that we have a home in heaven And that should drive us and should, if you will, cause us to think very sober-mindedly in what we do and know that we're going to receive a reward of what we've done. And the reward of our inheritance is that eternal life that we all look forward to and we all desire as we should. And here is the driving motivation behind why we do what we do because of what God did for us. And that's why we serve him willingly, not caught up as a slave that was sold, but as one that came and said, I will willingly serve and devote my life unto my master, Jesus Christ. Because in verse 25, he says this, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. For there is no respecter of persons. So here he ends this chapter is talking about there's consequences. If Christ is not preeminent, there are going to be consequences. If we do something wrong, there are going to be consequences. Now again, you know, even as we're going to talk about this morning, uh, there is a learning pattern that we go through. And what is it? You listen. You attempt. If you listened well and you followed the instructions, there will be a successful consequence, a successful result. But many times, what happens is we we listen, we don't understand. We attempt, we fail. Well, what does that mean? It means we got to go back to step one. We can't say we've learned that concept. And we keep doing that until we understand what the concept is truly teaching. And it is a pattern. That's why failure, we need to understand when we fall, we need to learn from it. We need to clearly understand that, you know, when we sin as believers, we need to learn from it. Not reject, not rebuff the correction, receive the correction make the correction the way that God tells us to, and go about doing it the right way from there on out. This is God's expectation of us as believers. But we need to know, hey, we're we're going to receive some things if we do it the wrong way. You know what that's going to be? That's going to be the wood, hay, and stubble that burns up. You take a look at the wood, hay, and stubble, and you find that it is all things that are done for self, pride, pleasure, uh, 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 of oneself, um, uh, things of the flesh, carnality, things of the world, and it just, what does it do? It just all burns up. It can't withstand. It doesn't get purified. But the things that are of the Lord, those last. That's the gold, silver, precious stones that we hear. But what God is talking about in this is, is again, getting this understanding that, hey, look, if we have those wrong affections and if we're, uh, you know, if you will, um, uh, in, in kind of leaning towards pleasing, uh, of ourselves and not pleasing God and and leaning towards pleasing men and and making sure that we've got our position set and all of those things, that's going to have a severe consequence in our life. Because you know what? The praise of men is very short-lived. Very short-lived. Uh, sometimes with some of the stuff that uh um that uh, i I kind of get uh, copied on and that uh is encouraged for us to read uh with the the legal field is sometimes we get some h r stuff that comes through um dealing with human resources and uh dealing with uh employees and uh this was uh a, a very sad thing because this is not the way it's supposed to go, but there was this employee that had uh um done a great job uh, the, um, they had reached their, uh, I think it was their two year anniversary, which, you know, that's a big deal nowadays. If you've been in a company longer than like, you know, a year, you're, you're up there, uh, because people's changed so frequently, but you know, they had done this two year, uh, um, it was a two year anniversary. They received all these accolades and praise. They made a big deal about it for this, uh, Uh, for this employee and then the very next day they were let go. And it was like, wait, what? And it was shocking. And the person's like, well, didn't I do a good job? Yes. Well, why are you letting me, letting me go? Well, we just think it's time for you to move on. It's just, again, praise lasts only so long, right? It only goes so far. Sometimes you can have a long, lustrous career. You can have done a great job. You make one little small mistake and boom, you're fired. Why? Because people are fickle. And sometimes, you know, in the cases of where uh, people are looking for you to fail so that they can do something to you. But the idea and the concept is, is this, is that that if we're doing it for the Lord, the Lord will take care of that other stuff. The Lord will handle that. The Lord will handle that. Take a look at a couple other uh, verses. Uh, I want us to understand this concept about servants. Uh turn over to the book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter five, uh chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, because again we see some parallels here with other parts of uh um uh what Paul is writing and as well as others but again, truly points out what God's expectation of us is when we are doing a job for somebody else. In Ephesians chapter 6, and take a look at verses 5 through 9, it says, Servants, be obedient unto them that your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto unto Christ. Again, we see that preeminent thought process. It's doing it unto the Lord, not doing it unto men. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's what a lot of people don't understand. You know what the will of God is? Be obedient to those that God has put over you. Be obedient to those that God has put over you. Because if we can't be obedient unto men, how can we expect to be obedient unto God? God even says that. But here we are moving on. He says, With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whether it's indentured servitude or whether you're doing it on your own accord. It says, and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. And we'll talk a little bit about the masters here in chapter four in just a minute, but the idea and the concept is this. God has a pattern of how we are to serve. Take a look over at first Timothy, first Timothy, first Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six, <clears throat> verse one: Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. You ever read that one and think about the impact that uh, that, that, that that you truly have when you don't do what God tells you to do? You realize that that disobedience God is starting to put on the par with blaspheming Him. To say we're a Christian and to not be obedient is it, 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 we're 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 encroaching upon blasphemy. Yeah. To claim the name of Christ. But to do something that is, that is satanic and devilish in the form of disobedience and dishonoring to God, not pleasing to Him. This is how God views it. And here He's talking about, you know, you need to count them worthy of all honor. That's a tough verse when you got a jerk for a boss. Let's just be honest, okay? When you got one of those guys that, 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 that you know, as soon as the, that boss walks up to your cubicle or your workstation or calls you on the phone or whatever, and there's that audible, you know, the groan, that's a tough thing to do, isn't it? But God says, honor them. Count them worthy of all honor. Because look, you know what? God does know what that guy is doing, by the way. God also knows the things that you don't know that he's doing. So how about you just trust the Lord in that regards, do what he says, honor, and don't blaspheme. They may personally attack you for being a Christian. I've had that happen in the workplace. You let God hey, take care of it. I've told you the story. My very first job that I had, I was a uh uh one of the what they guess they call them courtesy clerks now. They used to refer to me as the box boy, you know how that goes. <clears throat> Gotta make it more inclusive, anyways. Um uh but the fact is is that uh that was my job. I was the guy that bagged your groceries and carried it out to you and did the dirty work and cleaned the toilets and mopped the floors and counted the cans because it was an Oregon, which is always a very lovely thing in the summer. Um, if you've ever smelled uh, um, stale, hot uh, beer and alcohol and mixed with soda pop, uh, that is a smell you will not soon forget. Uh, they bring them in and there's, you know, all the hornets and the wasps are inside there and you gotta fight those to count them and stuff like that. And sometimes it's so bad you just estimate and go, ah, there's 65 cans in there. I'm not counting it. <laughs> you just throw it to the side and, you know, uh, just send it to the recycle place. But, uh, uh, but I'll tell you this, the very first job I had, I had people found out I was a Christian and man, they persecuted me for it. They, 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 they just, they hated me for what I stood for. And there was one guy, every time I would walk in, he would just look at me like he wanted to kill me. But I stayed faithful. I got to a point of where I eventually did quit. And I went to another place, worked with a Christian uh, assistant manager. uh he, he really helped me understand, you know, things about retail and business and, uh, just, just took care of me as a brother in Christ, as a mentor. I really appreciated him. And I'll tell you this. I didn't really give too much of a thought about the other individuals after that. But one day I was in college and I was uh, sitting waiting to do some uh, registration paperwork for the next, uh, semester that was coming up and uh, I looked over to my left and here comes that guy that wanted to it just it looked like he hated me. And He came up to me and I'm sitting there going, I really do not want to deal with this today. And he sat down and he says, hey, hey Ken, how's it going? And I said, well, it's going all right. How are you? And he's like, I'm fine. And uh, he tells me that he's no longer working at that place. And uh so on and so forth, and that uh he's got a, a great girlfriend that he's going to be marrying here soon, and so on and so forth. And I'm like, okay, okay. Just kind of waiting for my name to be called so I can end the conversation, you know, kind of mentality. Not necessarily the right way, okay. I'll just be honest with you. And then he said, uh, you know what, I've been praying that the Lord would put you back in my path. And I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> Like, what? You know, I'm just looking at him like, who are you? And is this the same guy? And, and he said, I want to apologize for the way I treated you. He says, I didn't understand till I trusted Christ as my savior. He said, my girlfriend, she, she led me to the Lord and, and now I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm growing and I'm excited about it. And he's like, I'm going to church. And he said, I know exactly what you were all about. And he says, I'm so sorry. I'm just like, (laughs) what? You never know. You never know. I didn't rail on them. I didn't treat maltreat them in any way, shape, or form. Even the, even though the boss there was, was one of those guys that you're like, whoo, I still treated him with honor. I wasn't going to blaspheme what God did, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Take a look at another passage, go over to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> In Titus chapter two, in verse nine, Paul tells Titus as part of the pastoral ministry, he says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing a good, all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior in all things. Now that is an interesting thing. That is really, truly putting on Christ when you adorn yourself with that. That's the concept, is that people see Christ in your actions and in your words. And if you will, with all good fidelity, he's talking about faithfulness. He's talking about truth, adherence to the truth, adherence to what is real, That's what the fidelity is about. Because, look, the world, as I said before, they know what is fake. Why? Because they're good at it. They produce fakes. So when a Christian fakes it, the world knows it. And here he's saying, look, no, with all good fidelity, you know what that means? That means that you very clearly, 100%, are doing it truthfully Honestly, and it matches exactly what God tells you to do with a real truth, a real truth. This is His expectation. Turn over again to First Peter um, chapter two. First Peter chapter two, seeing again this concept of servants. In verse eighteen, he says, "Servants." Be subject to your own masters with all fear, not only the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. He's saying, you know, you need to be obedient to those that treat you good and to those that treat you bad. To those that are perverse. To those that don't align with the biblical doctrines. That don't align with anything that is godly. He says, for this is thankworthy, thankworthy, worthy of thankfulness, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. You know, we may have a situation where it does not turn out well, where it is not beneficial, where there is conflict, there is contention, things of that nature. Uh, But you know what? You let God handle that situation. It's thankworthy that you get to suffer at that point in time. And that's not always the immediate response and reaction that we want to give, is being thankful when we go through difficult things. But that's what God asks us to do. It's what God asks us to do. And he begins to point this out, and he says, look, you know, he, he, here, here's where it comes down to. If you do these things, there will be a good reward for that. But if you don't, there are going to be bad rewards. There are going to be bad consequences for it. And these are things that he's established, which is why he wants us to be obedient, which is why he wants us to, 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 to truly point out, if you will, why, why we do what we do. Are we doing it for God or are we doing it for someone else? to really point to us and say, hey, look, examine your heart and ask that question, am I doing this for God? If we stop and just ask that question, I just want us to understand. If we stop and ask that question, am I doing this for God, that truly will keep you out of a lot of sin. That'll keep you out of a lot of sin. Why? Because you know what's going to happen? You're gonna go in there, you're gonna start, you know, somebody's gonna start asking questions about, uh, what you need to be doing or what you're doing and all of this. And if you can say, hey, I'm doing it for my savior, I'm doing it for God, I'm doing it for, 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 for him and him alone, that will change things. They will see that difference. And they're gonna say, why are you doing it that way? And if you say, well, I'm doing it for my Lord. I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it for Jesus. They may laugh at first. They may scoff and scorn. But you say it's true to it. You'll be a witness and a testimony to them also to that boss that may be that jerk. In chapter 4, back over in the book of Colossians, and we're just going to briefly touch this, because I know we're running out of time here, but briefly touching in in chapter 4, he gets to the where he's talking about masters. Now, this is the same connection that we're making up there because he just talked about servants. Here we are continuing to talk about relationships. But again, he kind of separates this because he wants to talk specifically to masters, having them understand that it's not about them having the preeminence in a person's life, but it's about them pointing to God. A good boss will always say, I don't want you doing it for me, I want you doing it for God. Here he says, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. That's the idea. That's the concept. Again, Somebody that is a boss, somebody that is a manager, somebody that is an employer, they need to understand the the concept of the way that they treat their employees, those that are under them, those that report to them, has to be the same way that God treats us. There's the expectation. The priority, again, is Jesus Christ. The priority, again, is Jesus Christ. If we don't understand that concept, then we're going to have a very difficult time in this Christian life if something else sits on the throne of our heart. We're going to struggle. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have consequences that are of our own doing. We need to make sure that we understand the first and foremost priority in any relationship is Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll continue in chapter 4 next week, Lord willing, but, but as we see these relationships, well, we want to keep that mindset. We want to keep that main thought that we see in this book that it is all about the preeminence of Christ. And as we close out the book and close out chapter 4 and we move into this we again begin to go to that whole concept of who are we praying to? Why are we praying? How are we going about prayer? Uh, what it is we're seeking from God and all of these things, as well as other individual interpersonal relationships that we see that others that are doing exactly what God's telling them to do about having Christ preeminent. What happens in those type of relationships We find, as Paul points them out to the church at Colossae here, that they have a benefit, that there's something there that clearly reveals that God is working in them. And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you continue to teach us in this book. Pray, Lord, that we would just continue to have that desire to make sure that you are preeminent in everything that we say and do that, Lord, all of our relationships, all that we do, whatsoever we do, that, Lord, it is you that we take into consideration first, understanding that we will give an account one way or another of what we do and what we have done for you and why we did it. Thank you again, Lord, for all these things you put together for us in your word that we can learn it, read it, understand it. And I ask and pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.